0: Hey everybody, welcome to Connected. I'm Kyle Van Pelt, co-founder and CEO of Mile Marker. My co-host is Judd Mackerel, co-founder of Milemarker as well. Connected is a show about the people and technologies that are shaping and building the wealth management industry. More people than ever are searching for great financial advice, and more firms than ever are trying to figure out how to scale their operations to serve those who are searching for their advice. We believe that better connected technology provides the space for better connected people, which leads to better advice. Welcome to Connected. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Connected. I'm Kyle Van Pelt, co-founder and CEO of MileMarker. And today I am joined by the infamous Adam Holt, CEO of AssetMap. Adam, I'm so glad to have you here, man. Thanks so much for joining us. Looking forward to the conversation.
1: Thanks, Kyle, been a big fan of what you're doing, so I appreciate being here. Absolutely, man. So
0: Adam, I actually wanna start way back. I know a little bit about you that you wanted to be an architect growing up. So I would love to talk about the love for architecture. Where did that come from? Give us the story about what made Adam wanna be an architect?
1: I remember distinctly. When I was in seventh grade, our art teacher made us do something called two-point perspective. And it was basically drawing boxes in perspective. Like, you draw a 3D box. And I was obsessed with it. And I started drawing everything in this 3D view. And I started doing landscapes. I had a huge history in art. My parents' friends used to joke that I, I drew too many like army things. And instead of having army characters, I just drew out these huge scenes. So I was really into drawing stuff early on. My mom therefore put me into all kinds of art classes. And and what I said is like, how do I actually have a career out of this? And it was gonna be architecture. So I figured I'd be an architect since I was a little kid. And you could tell I love spatial drawings, right? Big surprise that I did s- spatial drawings of finances <laughs> and without perspective, by the way. We got rid of the perspective.
0: Mm. That's so cool. So as somebody who loves architecture, I got to ask you like what is your favorite building? Is there any oh anything gosh. that come, like comes into mind when you think about like man, when I when I look at that building like as somebody who loves and appreciates architecture,
1: I like I love that building. That's really I really wasn't expecting that one. You got me. Okay. So I grew up in New York City and then moved to Philadelphia. I'm always enamored by skyscrapers and I've just obviously seen a bunch of them. Every time I travel, I like to go to cities and I do enjoy the architecture, but I I never actually thought, like, what's a favorite? I really, if you ever watch me walking around a city, I'm always looking around. I'm always literally, even today, I live in the city of Philadelphia and I walk to work and I literally spend the entire time looking up at the different moldings that they chose and the different little little details that they put in the old buildings because it's a very old town. So it's a you know couple hundred, 300-year-old three, buildings everywhere. So that's really funny. I never pick a favorite. Actually, that tends to be my personality. I'm not a favorites kind of guy. I'm an appreciation kind of guy.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, and I, I love that you mentioned you know, the architecture of Philadelphia as you're walking around, because I think that's what makes cities unique, right? It gives them a lot of their personality. And it's what helps us connect with a city when we're there. I mean, you can show someone a picture of the New York City skyline, and they know it's New York, whether you say that's where it is or not. I could tell you it's Atlanta, Georgia, if you show me just a picture of the buildings, and it gives you a lot of a lot of credit. So I think that's really cool, man. I appreciate you sharing that.
1: Uh, You know what's funny? You actually just reminded me. So at Asimap, we have now 40 some people. And because we're all doing everything on Zoom, I took it upon myself to create custom backgrounds for everybody based upon where they live. And it has their city, a cityscape with a couple different requirements. It has to have water in it, it has to have trees, and it has to have architectural buildings, and it has to have a full skyline. And so everyone at Asimap has a... Like current locations, got, nobody ever understood, like, why did he build it like this? I'm like, honestly, because I was geeking out and I really liked the architecture of your city. And that's what I think of when I look at you. I'm like, okay, you're Atlanta, you're Dallas, yeah. you're whatever. Oh, so man.
0: that's so that cool. Fun? I love
1: that. That is funny. And, you know, this is why
0: we, why we do this podcast, because you get to pull that kind of stuff out of people that you normally wouldn't hear. So, Adam, I, I've known you for a little while and you are one of the better people I've met at being able to connect with people. So the show is called Connected. It's about how do we help people in the industry get better connected, but also how do advisors better connect with clients? And I think you have a unique perspective on this because you've also built an advisory business. So, you know, open-ended question for you, but what do you think it takes to build great connections with people?
1: I, You know, it's so fun because you're asking me these questions that I take for granted, right? I just do it or just teach it and what does it take to build connections with with people? Someone asked me this a bazillion years ago. The answer that came out of my mouth, I pretty much kept. It takes rapport, common interest, common values, and I think an alignment of where you wanna go in a relationship. Now, you can apply that pretty much to any kind of relationship, connected-wise, business partner, personal, friend, otherwise. But those are the, the things that I tend to think allow people to connect. For the most part in financial advice, you know, one of the things that we've all had challenges with is how do we help people make better decisions, especially in the early days when we're first starting to talk to a new client or a new potential client, and we need to go deep into their personal lives, a place that has some level of intimacy, and we haven't had the rapport building time. We don't know if we're interested in the same things, right? typically very much like a doctor. It's very medicinal. It's like, okay, I got to get inspected and they're probably going to try to sell me something. Do I want to reveal that I got this there? But I kind of want to hold back, but I don't want to be judged because I know I didn't do a lot of this stuff. Financial advice and financial planning, whatever you want to call it, is a very, I don't want to say invasive, but it can feel like an interrogation. And when somebody who's disconnected is doing that interrogation, it could really jade the process. So I've been thinking a lot over the years about how do you make it more attractive, appealing, interesting, aligned in our interests that revealing information about yourself just makes sense. And you can understand that's where Asset Map came from because the idea of visualization for everything that's going on in your household without judgment is an important aspect. Just like an x-ray doesn't have any feelings, right? The doctor does their x-ray. You know why they're doing it because they want to find the broken bones, right? They're trying to diagnose your problem. And so we found that by by actually creating this process where we could create, and here's your X-ray, it is what it is. Now here's how I can help. That was a better way to really engage and connect in a place where there's not a lot of natural, we'll call it, connection currency.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. And that's a good segue because I want to talk a little bit about Asset Map, and I know the story of Asset Map is born out of. You being an advisor, trying to figure out an easier way to communicate these things. We'll talk about that in a second, but I love how you said it's like an x ray for a doctor. And I think staying on the connection theme a little bit, your experience as an advisor, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about okay, I've provided this x ray, but why should you trust me to be the person to operate on this, right? Because you have to have the knowledge and the know how, but you're talking about rapport, you're talking about connection hey, Adam, I'm going to trust you with my dreams. I'm going to trust you with my family's legacy. I'm going to trust you with the way I'm going to fund these things. And, you know, if we really get down to it, I'm going to trust you with my anxieties and fears that I'm never going to actually achieve any of these things. And I'm hoping that you're going to do that. So, yeah, you've x-rayed me. You know, you're going to do the nuts and bolts. But why should I trust you? And how like how did you think about that as an advisor?
1: Yeah, I told, that's a, I'm glad you picked that up. There's two things that, that come to mind when you say that. If you came to me and said, Adam, you're my doctor. You know what's wrong with me? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a whole bunch of questions, right? Does this hurt? Does this hurt? Does that hurt? Is it how does this feel? Does this or where, where you're gonna try to describe it to me in your language, which is probably gonna be insufficient, frankly, mostly because I'm technical and you're you're like lo- using words for the first time. My ear kind of hurts, like, and I'm like, is that your lobe of your? like, I don't know what you're talking about. So the same thing happens in finance. What we got out of Asset Map, which originally started because I needed to understand what was going on. I needed a way to take this complexity and make it interpretive for me. It just turned out that when the clients saw it, they're like, hey, can I get a copy of that? Like, I'm gonna go home and put it on my fridge, give it to my spouse, now finally be able to explain this stuff. And so that's actually how Map went viral. It's just, it wasn't really intended to be what it became, and but it showed a common problem. Reason I bring that all up, Kyle, is because when you allow everybody to focus on something else, Like, let's put our shift away from you personally, but to this diagram. Now let's have a conversation around this. It gave us permission to go into spaces that had vulnerability or, mm, let's say, insecurities. Like, gosh, I noticed you don't have any savings. Is that intentional? Right. Whereas I would be like, wait, what do you mean you don't have any emergency reserves? Like, I know I'm an idiot. Right. So maybe I'm not the right client for you. And maybe I'm not big. Right. So people have all these anxieties you mentioned about the process. So in a strange way, it's easier to transfer your emotions away when you're just looking at a diagram like a puzzle. It's like it's this is just the representation and it allowed us to explore. And I think the key to building trust, which is what you really brought up, the whole point of a financial professional, is to help people make better financial decisions. We both know that that's a product of the behaviors that they execute when they're not with you. Am I saving or am I splurging? Am I spending or am I like making poor taxes? Right? So part of it's behavioral. Part of it is, can I set up some infrastructures that are already, that they can't mess up, right? Can I start savings? Can I insure this stuff? Can I invest their money for them? (laughs) Let me do it for them. And the most important aspect to earn that second piece is trust. Do I trust that this person's going to put in place business for which I'm obviously paying for them somehow? So the key for us at Asimap is, let me show you why you should trust me. Here's a visualization of your life, your x-ray. Let me educate you as to how these different things work. Let me show you what other people are doing. And why it it matters. What's the implication of doing that? Do you see now why it matters? Oh, yeah, gosh, you're approaching it with the right questions. And I'm educating you. So here's the thing that I want everybody to remember. The key to the future of advice engagement is not going to be presentation. It's going to be participation. How do I help my customer get involved in being participatory to their own benefit? I'm going to need to educate them. I need to focus on literacy as much as they're willing. I need to engage them in this process as opposed to dictate to them. They're not going to take it anymore.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I love how you're talking about that because the industry loves to talk about how important financial literacy is. But that term in and of itself just starts from a place of inadequacy, right? So, hey, you, you are assuming that the person you're trying to make financially literate is illiterate rather than approaching it from a place of, how do we help you get educated? How do we help you engage with this? How do we help you participate? It is much more about financial participation because probably more than literacy, I think it's just intimidation. There's a lot of phrases and jargon and things that, you know, they probably know more about than they realize, but because we use these terms, they've just opted out or checked out. So I love the way you talk about that.
1: Yeah. Boy, that's so, really, it's an interesting, I just want to throw something in there. Yeah. One of the things that we tend not to recognize because there was no institutional education around finances is that most people's understanding of finances is Swiss cheese. There's an enormous number of holes and they're not the same for everybody, right? Most kind of life teaches you by fire how, you know, oh my gosh, I need a bank account. I need a mortgage. I, I learned when I bought my first house, how a mortgage works. And I, I still kind of don't understand it. Can you tell me when most people in America learn algebra? Do you know when they learn algebra? What age? Uh,
0: well, I, I feel like this is a trick
1: question because you're, yeah, you're
0: supposed to learn it in high school, but I'm sure it's probably like later than that.
1: Yeah. You know what it is? It's like at 35. You know, yeah. when 35 happens, you have to teach it to your kid who doesn't understand <laughs> it either. Okay. That's when I think I finally clicked for me. I'm like, now I think I finally on geometry when I taught my daughter, when I had to review this stuff with her, like, and I had to teach her because she didn't understand it. I'm like, oh my gosh, now I understand what they were talking about. Most of us have experienced this in finance, where we're, we're using these techniques and tools. Yeah, IRA. I got an IRA. But do you have you ever thought about how, why it works, how it works? And wow, what, that's right. That's what I can do. It. So I think the challenge for many of us, as you illustrated, is getting people literate serves the greater good in so many ways. They'll make better financial decisions. They'll make more security. And that will actually expand the marketplace. So mm, it's a, it, it is definitely a big mission for all of us.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. So let's talk a little bit more about the mission. So asset map, you start asset map because you, you, well, it didn't even start it as a company. You start the concept because you as an advisor, like I need a way to to be able to visualize this. Adam's architect brain, the the doodler Mm -hmm. inside of you is how do I take these complex things and turn them into a more visual piece? It, yeah. it works out well, I'll let you pick it up from there because yeah, people are starting to ask from this as clients of yours. It helps you grow your practice and business and you're like, hey, I'm onto something. So just talk a little bit about that. I know people have heard the Asset Map story before, but tell us a little bit about how it goes from, I'm using this as a tool for myself to, geez, I need to build a company out of this because other advisors should be
1: using this. We checked this recently. My original copyrights on Asset Map go back to 2002. That's 20 years ago, 2004. <laughs> I had it on my desk in a meeting and a client said this, what I just said to you said, you could take all this big analysis, Morningstar money, all back. I'm not opening, I'm not reading it or send it to me. I want the drawing. And I'm like, this is for me. He's like, it's not even compliance brute. He's like, right, give me that damn drawing. Okay, I'm gonna, now my wife's not gonna bother me because I can explain to her what we talked about for those two hours. Okay, all right, fine. And then I, that's when I was like, oh wait, this is not just for me. I'm like being selfish. I needed it for myself. 2006, I got a compliance approved. Once I got a, could use it in the field, I tripled my revenue again and again. Three years in a row, I tripled my revenue, and that's when I was like, wait a minute. This thing really is powerful. I started to work up Mark real fast into financial advice for super wealthy families because I was like, mm, I have no fear. Just mapping your stuff, and I'm finding opportunity. The opportunity was just bigger. 2009, I said, well, I have all this money. I want to have a kid. I'm gonna hire a company to build this because it was taking an extraordinary amount of time to build these bespoke. Every family had their own asset map, like hand drawn in a computer program. And that's when I I built the first company and I funded it because it was basically making its own money. And in 2012, I showed it at a conference because it was my turn to share the best practice amongst my peers. So top 50 advisors in the company all get together. Okay, kid, your turn. Why are you here? How'd you get here? I'm like, well, I have this map thing. And I, and they're like, can we use it? And I got authorization for them to use it. Those were the first 20 users. Now we have 6,000 users and 40-some employees, as I said. And I mean, we've crossed over one and a quarter million people in asset Map, So it's, it's become a thing because I think it's solved a problem that almost all of us have, which is how do I prove to the client I've actually listened to them? And how do I now engage them based upon those facts to point out where they need attention? And I can uniquely provide that as an advisor. Granted, every advisor has a different perspective on how to solve the problem. You, you know this well. One advisor might look at the same problem and say, oh, you should use an index fund. Another says an SMA. Another says whole life insurance. We never were going to tell people how you should solve it, but we want to just basically illustrate the current condition without judgment. And I think that's been why it works, because it, it just goes cross-industry tax, legal, insurance, investment.
0: I love that. That's awesome. So we're going to come back to AssetMap, the the product and the company here in a little bit. But you talked about how you used AssetMap to triple your revenue. And it, we heard about a lot of the good things that happened when you were running a practice. You work with 6,000 users now, advisors or, or their types of firms, and then you did it. I would love to talk about the other side. What are the challenges that you experienced running an RIA? So if everything was as simple as AssetMap, I'm sure that everything would be great. But there's challenges in running and growing an RIA. I'm, I know you experienced it firsthand. I know you see it with your customers. What do you feel like are some of the the big overarching themes there of why it's so hard to grow an RIA today?
1: Oh, interesting. So my so just to be clear, my RIA was a hybrid with a broker dealer. So we also did broke and we did insurance. So we did everything and corporate and fee. So I would say by the time. I really stopped growing it. We were doing and just now kind of exists as 25 people still exist. I kind of given up my managing role. That organization is pretty much doing anything it can. It kind of made sense. We have lots of kind of cross disciplinary approach. So just to give you a context. So I'll answer the question in how do you build an advisory firm? Because I think there's lots of hybrids out there. The problems that we faced almost all the time were no one was trained on how to operate a business. There was no operations manager until later on, we figured we could take one of our internal people and bubble them up and have them trained. That was a constant, quote, unquote, who owns this project? Who's going to own policy and procedures? Who's going to own all the different admin functions of of HR and so forth? Because we were all just advisor entrepreneurs. And ultimately, an advisor had to pick it up because we were very much a federation of advisors instead of an organization of, uh, let's say, of a company, per se. Like, we still always thought of ourselves as individual entrepreneurs that were teaming up to build a brand. That made getting a talent hard because... That was challenging. I think looking back, if I had to be honest with you, there was always a dis, not a disconnect, but there was like a them and a us. It was our staff, our admin staff, and then there were the advisors. We we're always kind and courteous and family like, but I don't know that we always treated our company like a company. Today, as a tech company, some of the things that I've learned and adopted include the idea that everybody has to have equity. Every employee has equity in asset map. They are an owner. They are part of it. Their job is to protect the baby at all costs. Why? Because they have an interest in its protection. And I think there's a disconnect that advisors have, which we tend to think, oh, this is all, I earned all this compensation. I earned all this revenue. And, oh, yeah, you're an expense as opposed to a partner. And I think that's the big difference that I think RAs or advisors miss today. You have to find a way to get the next generation of support team on the same playing field as you, so that their interests are your interests. Remember we talked about how do you create connection? Aligned Mm -hmm. interests, common interests. That's an opportunity that we could make a lot of movement on in the industry. Of course, the equity structures are not always designed to bring in people, but Mm -hmm. why not? Figure out a way to fix it. Yep, I love that. That is not a, at all where I expected you to go with that, but I I love that Didn't that's
0: either. where that's where you <laughs> went with it. It was it was fantastic. <laughs>
1: Who knows what's gonna come out of here when you ask a yeah, question?
0: It's amazing. Well and I think, you know, let's let's press into that a little bit more of just yeah. I mean, you hear about the war for talent on all kinds of headlines. And that was, I think, predominantly for the Facebooks and Googles and all of those folks of the world. But it's really prevalent across all businesses. I can't go anywhere, whether it's, you know, an electrician shop down the road saying they need help or it's a fast food restaurant who says they need help or it's an RIA's or an advisory firm's business that is looking for talent. It's so hard to find people. And then I know a lot of the advisors we talk to are kind of perpetually afraid of churning people. So, Hey, we have this person who's amazing. They're the only one who knows how to really do this. Mm. And if they leave, you know, I'm really afraid of what's going to happen. So I think you you hit on that a bit with equity helps if you're a part of an owner in this and it's not, you're not just a person there, but also how do we truly operate a business, which is not just, Hey, that's your job, go figure it out. But how do we all understand how that works? would love to hear you talk about that a little bit. And then I have a follow-up question on, on the talent piece. But, you know, what do you say to people who are, it's like, man, it's hard enough already to find people to come and, and work and get them into the firm. And
1: then I'm afraid I'm going to lose them. We've been very lucky and blessed, I would say, that we have not had turnover in the financial services firm. And Asimap is pretty much the same. I mean, less than 5%. If I was really to answer honestly about why that is, it would be conjecture. But I think it's culture. And what I mean by that is that we were very clear. My mentors in financial advice always were clear about how they made everybody feel like they were included from the maintenance guy all the way to the top advisor, president of the company. Like We had that aligned values, if you will. And what I think that did is that it enabled us to always say this to every single potential employee and while they were employee: if there's something going on in your world, your life, your family- relationship, your kids, that is important to you, it's important to us. If you need to be present for the, the God forbid moments, as well as the celebrate the moments, like your kid's game, your kid's recital, your mom's hospice, you're there. You tell us, we will support you, and we caught you, we covered you. I say this to every single employee at Asimap today, everyone who joins. This is the vision of who we want to be. And if they don't align with that, it's probably not a good fit anyway. Like if they can't also be the person who's going to cover when their teammate is out because of something, oh my gosh, it came, went to go to a baseball game. We got this huge project. Like No, we agreed that life's moments are more important than the business. We'll figure out a way to cover. We'll scramble. We'll work all weekend, but you would do it for me. I'd do it for you. Now, I know that sounds idealistic, but when you say that enough times, as clearly I've said it, because I can say it clearly, I think. People really believe it and start acting that way, and it perpetuates itself, and both firms have that. So in places where we actually underpaid people because we just didn't have the money, their loyalty was unmatched because they, number one, had equity, and number two, they felt like they were part of the team. They were not like, oh, those guys will be fine without me. They knew they were instrumental, and I think the loyalty that that bred was really palpable in a sense that it's played out over years. I think it's just another reason why I, we don't, I don't, I I shouldn't say this. I'm going to jinx myself. I don't necessarily worry about people leaving, but I I would say to you that I always have this, this attitude that if people are willing to sacrifice their good years of life for you and actually show that, then I want to celebrate and help them find their next place if it's not here as well. Somebody has an opportunity to grow, and they deserve that honor. Like I want to support them, and I think most, of, I think almost every my players know that I would be really upset if they left, <laughs> but I will support their journey because that is what's important to them, and what's important to them is important to me. So and that has to be consistent, and I, it's not always easy, believe it or not. It's there's some scary moments as a business owner.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's fantastic. I appreciate you sharing all of that, sure. and you know, again, it, it, to those who might think that sounds idealistic, Adam he did this right he sat in the chair and he built a firm and, and it was a successful firm and so not alone, uh, yes, yeah not alone not. at all but you know this isn't professorial advice of somebody sitting on the sidelines saying here's what i think it is it's like you did that you were in the trenches and you knew what it'd take to build a great culture and you've done it at asset map but also at at your advisory firm which i think is amazing let's talk a, a little bit more about asset map we talked about how it helped on the business development side and helping people do that but this is a show called Connected. It's about connecting technology. And I think that tends to be a big struggle for a lot of people too, is, hey, how do I get these systems that I have to have to work together? So where does asset map play in the, the stack of technology? And how does that help them streamline operations? You know, if it does, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Can I Can I be controversial with you? Yeah, let's go. It doesn't matter at all. We got to... Almost a million people in AssetMap without complaints, without data integration, without account aggregation, without an app, mobile app, in other words. How did that happen? I, th- I thought everything needs to be integrated. Doesn't the CRM need to talk? Now, today, yes, the CRM and the planning tool and the portfolio tool all talks to AssetMap. Okay, cool. You know what I think that is? That's called Marketing. We build these integrations for people who are banging on a drum for them, and then they don't use them. And I'm like, why don't they use them? And my team tells me it's like, because the app is effective on its own, fully functional. It helps you collect the data like a human. And now we have all the data. I don't need the data from other sources that have half-assed data. So in a sense, we solved the problem that we had originally, which was, where's all the data on this client? Like, okay, I know that they've got two accounts with me. And I know they got a house because they told me and I know what they're making because it's on their form. And I got some stuff in their planning thing, but I I don't know what their their benefits are at work. I don't know what their insurance policies are. Like, that's not aggregated. We got to ask them. Let's build a visualization next time we see them of all the stuff that's in their head. And let's put it on paper and give it back to them so they could say, yeah, that's right or wrong. We already did that work. So the irony behind it is that as much as integration has been a huge, almost non-starter for almost every large company. They won't even talk to you unless you have an integration capacity, API, or otherwise. The funny thing about AssetMap, it was uniquely different in that it could stand alone. And it proved it for years. We had those revenue return results, in growth in business, with no integrations. Now with integrations, it's becoming a single pane of glass, Kyle. Kyle. You go to Asset Map, and not only do you see the visualization, but you can click on any box and say, "What does the CRM say?" and "What does Riskalyze say?" and "What does Orion say?" and "What's the performance of Morningstar?" So it turns out it's actually becoming more of a an interactive Google Maps of finance, where I can zoom in, zoom out, and then see like what time the restaurant opens. And for an advisor who's looking for a way to create a interactive participation dashboard of what's going on in your life and then you know try to zoom in, zoom out it's been really interesting to see how advisors are using this to create almost like wow experiences with their clients because i'm not showing them a table of numbers or a balance sheet which is like forget it you're not competing with me i love
0: that that's that's amazing so that sounds like okay hey you probably don't need all these integrations and everything like that if you know for the advisor to client interaction and relationship which i think makes sense i think i think there's there's a lot of pretty solved workflows and integration on that side of things but if i'm running a a firm with you know a whole bunch of advisors and they all have a bunch of data and everything like that and i'm trying to figure out how to grow my firm or and now you're talking what we talked about earlier of how do I operate a business? Not provide financial advice anymore, but mm. I am now operating a business where advisors are my clients and, you know, and, and it's sort of b 2 b to c What do you think about data issues there, integration issues there? How do they get the data at their fingertips to make growth decisions, to make strategic decisions? Do you hold the same yeah. belief that it doesn't necessarily matter there either? Or do you think it starts to matter a little bit more when you get up to that level?
1: No, that's where I completely changed my tune. And I'm really glad you brought that up because I would have literally come across as sounding like a total imbecile with respect to aggregation if I said it didn't matter on the data side. To be clear, where it's not essential is on the data collection from the client, where it is essential is in the business intelligence side. What's interesting about having crossed $1.5 trillion in asset map is that we literally know not only where everybody's stuff is buried, but where this stuff they don't have is. We just rolled out this and this was really the eye opener. So we just wrote out this new algorithmic function called signals. It basically gives you a red, yellow, or green indicator score, light, a light basically, whether you could handle six of the common events that will set you sideways, right? Because we find a lot of advisors don't like to do calamity planning. They love to do retirement planning and asset allocation. But no, very few people were asking, how could you fund a long-term care event if it happened yesterday? If you were disabled yesterday, well, what would happen? I need to run that model without you actually running the model and give you a score, good, bad, or indifferent. And when we ran that at a at BI side for the entire platform, right? A million people, it was really bad. So here you have financial advisors, arguably best interest actors, investment managers, where three out of the six potential scores are red, which means just on average, most of them would lose their house or have a huge disruption if they were disabled, they died or they had a long-term care event or live too long. Cause that's some, there's several other scores on there or they had an emergency reserve, couldn't cover it. And I'm thinking to myself, how is it this bad? And it basically forced us to start really thinking about business intelligence, which I know you guys are great at at mile marker. And we released an analytics platform for enterprises that shows them not only activity, what are your advisors doing? What are they not doing? Who's the leader? Who's the laggard? and everything with APIs and where's the data connectivity, but also the financial side and the indicators of health. Where it's going is that people who are running firms need to have insight into the client's data, what their advisors are actually doing so you can team them up for skill matching, as well as uncovering opportunity that's literally just sitting there and you just need to know where to dig. So I think the real big challenge for all of us since customer acquisition cost is rising for the end consumer, for lots of reasons, is that we need to actually monetize our customers to a greater degree, either increasing their lifetime value by acquiring more wallet share or solving more problems. And it, typically the biggest, I think, frontier left unexplored is the life and annuity side, especially given the generational change in, in boomers and what they care about, right? outliving their assets and then making sure it goes to the next generation. I happen to think we're about to hit the heyday of life and annuity, and it's indicating that advisors have been ignorant to this topic for so long. So I think that's a huge opportunity, but you've got to know where to dig. And that's the problem at the home office level or at the kind of management level. You don't know how to help specifically client number 327 in Des Moines and what they need because your data doesn't roll up to you in any kind of fungible way.
0: Yeah. Oh, man, there's a lot to unpack there. I'll say these two things. Number one, what you're talking about in a lot of ways that I love is a lot of these larger firms, have practice management teams, that their sole job is to go in and help their advisors be better at what they're doing or whatever, but that's not a very data-driven process. And what you're saying is, hey, how do we arm the practice management consultants with data to say, this is where we should focus the practice management efforts and coaching and training, is these are the areas where they're not doing good. You can't just go in with the same generic advice for every advisor, you know, But if you go in and say, no, I, I'm looking at the data, I can see that you're red on three of these six things on most of these clients. How can we help coach you and, and make you better at these couple of things? Because it's not just about the success of your business, but it's about the success of your clients. And that's your whole job as a fiduciary and as somebody delivering this. But most practice management efforts, while the teams are great and they're equipped to help advisors grow and run better businesses, are going in without a tool to help them figure out where should we focus i love the the conversation about annuities too and insurance as a whole just because i think those products have evolved so much over the past couple years and so many people just have their minds made up about what those are that they're bad that you shouldn't use them and you know that's a solved problem i also think that for the people that use that and we see this a lot at mile marker those products were put off in the silo, and so it's so hard to pull them into your business as, a, as an advisor. If I've got all my stuff in my portfolio management tool or these sort of things, I see the ETFs, I see the models, I see the SMAs. Oh, yeah, we got all this insurance stuff over here. It's really hard to integrate that into what we typically work on. If you believe that that's getting ready to have sort of a golden age or a heyday, as you said, like, how is AssetMap thinking about integrating that into the single pane of glass? Is it just the, the values or are you looking at riders or how are you helping
1: people make decisions based mm. off of those products as well? Okay, so that's interesting. So AssetMap, if you haven't seen it, is an amalgamation of the five important capital decisions that all financial advisors need to pay attention to. It's all just about capital decisions. That's all we do. Are we making the best decision that we can given the resources we have and the conditions and things we care about, right? Or you care about as a client. As a map is a combination of the members of your household, all those who have financial interdependency with you connected. That means you're not just one registrant and my partner. It's my kids, my generation above us for whom I'm probably going to be responsible or inherit assets from. It's my business partners. It's my trusts. It's anything I've set up that is a financial ownership within my household. The second piece is income sources, right? Where are my cash flows? The third is assets, liabilities, and lastly, insurance policies. All of them are treated equal. We have no preference here. We are like a fully inclusive platform. Insurance policies have a place in your, we'll call it financial inventory, just like an asset does, just like a bank account, just a mortgage. It's a financial contract made with an owner and likely someone who's gonna benefit from it. We have to make capital decisions just the same. Every decision to invest, is a buy, hold, or sell decision. Do you agree with that? It's buy, hold, or sell. There's only three things we can do. I think a decision to hold is the same as a decision to buy with the current resources that I have, by the way. So it's really just buy and sell. Every insurance policy should be asked the question, what's the buy and what's the sell strategy? Should we keep this? Should we not keep it? Should we double down on it? Should we continue to invest it or not? And that rigor needs to be placed on insurances just like assets. So why is it any different? The best interest argument is that I'm acting in your best interest. Why do I then all of a sudden stop acting in your best interest? Because I just don't feel comfortable talking about annuities. I just don't know life insurance and it's a commodity. I don't need to talk about it. No, it's a financial instrument in your closet. See, it has a box with it. It says insurance policies. That's a financial decision. It needs to live on the asset map as it does. Okay. And so that's been our approach, is that it's, there's no judgment, Kyle. It's just a decision. Stop making it personal. Stop bringing your biases. Why does it serve you? Should it be there? Should it not be? And if it does, that's great. Or if it not, let's cut it. And that's the kind of inspection process of a financial inventory is that we need to put that kind of rigor on it. Yeah. So long story short, we need to get more educated too. Financial advisors are undereducated in that space.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it. And I mean, listen, with the interest rates being the way that they've been, it's a great time to actually take another look at this because a lot of people are using those instruments because they seem to make more sense than a lot of other options as the macroeconomic environment changes. I I love that challenge to just say, hey, just because you felt a way about that at one point doesn't mean you shouldn't revisit it today and think think about it in a different way.
1: It's true. I do we got to educate our people and obviously help them make decisions that serve them. And whether it's interest rates or tax rates or longevity rates or mortality rates or any of these things, we know as a financial planner, they're going to change. None of our assumptions are going to play out the way we think they are. But the reality is, is that we got to make sure that we're, we're protecting all those bases. Okay. We can't, can't keep selling cars and say they run great, but hey, we've ignored the seatbelts and the airbags. I think that's a, that's a missed opportunity to say we're really maintaining the whole car.
0: I love that analogy. That's awesome. All right. We've talked a lot about that stuff. I want to just shift as we start to close this conversation out. I've really enjoyed it. A couple of other different things for you outside of asset Map and outside of building an advisory practice and wanting to be an architect, but I know you have a couple of kids. I know you're a, you know, family man. We've talked a lot about this stuff and and it's something I appreciate. You're also part of something called Rebel Dads. And so, oh, yeah. would love to hear you talk a little bit about just, sure. you know, hey, listen, most of the people listening to this are building businesses. It can be a lot. As you talked about. I mean, it can it can drain you. It can take a lot from you but also everybody, family's important. So we'd love to just hear you riff a little bit on, you know, what's it mean to be a rebel dad? Tell us about that. But then what advice do you give to someone who wants to be a great parent while also trying to build a business and the the demands and the stresses that come with that?
1: Wow, okay. And how much time do you have? (laughs) So, Okay, so Rebel, by the way, for those that don't know, Rebel is a community of fathers who are also entrepreneurs who are seeking a community to share best practices around living a more balanced life. I have one daughter and two main companies. Those are all three my children, okay? I treat them like my children, and the youngest acts like the youngest, and the oldest acts like the oldest, just so you know. One is much more mature than the other, all right? And I have a lot of fun with it, and my daughter knows that her sisters are basically her meal ticket, by the way. But the point is is that I've been really, and I was also by, by my mentors, really guided by a work-life balance. So despite my craziness, working sometimes 80, 90 hours a week, I fit it in 8.30 to five every day. I'm home at 5.30 every day. And that's how I've created sanctity and presence. And then it's not until everybody's asleep that I start my creative work crazy time, either super early in the morning or super late at night. And that's how I've managed it. That's how I ran multiple companies over the years. It's just putting them first again priorities and interests and it was a huge sacrifice but one well worth doing because I have an unbelievable relationship with my human daughter we do great things together and I and she's a joy of my life and I think for all of us all of us that are part of the rebel dads and it's an open invitation to anybody who feels like they meet that criteria rebl, dad. So you can probably Google it at this point. And we do events and we do opportunities to to help each other grow. And most of the people on there are super successful. And so it's a great community of like-minded people that have shared what's worked for them and their practices and how they managed to be a good father and how they managed to, or they're trying to be a good father, trying to be a good leader and what we can learn from each other. So that's really what it's all about. And it's been an opportunity to give back and also learn from others. That's awesome.
0: I love you sharing that. And I just... It's something I've always been impressed by you about is you know while building businesses, I've known you've always really cared about being present and that you get home at five thirty. and yeah, we we all have to do things outside of that, but that you've made that commitment, and I wanted to highlight that today because what are we all what are we all doing this
1: for? Yeah. yeah, I know that you've been you've been big about that in our conversations over the last seven years. We've known each other. Yeah, man. That's amazing. Lucky number seven.
0: Well, Adam, thanks so much for for joining the Connected podcast. I love the conversation. I think there was some really valuable insights for the listeners here today. For those of you who haven't heard of Asset Map, Adam, what's the best way for them to, to check out Asset Map to get introduced or learn more?
1: Yeah, well, you definitely want to go to AssetMap.com or Google it. It'll get you there and just sign up for a demo if it's of intrigue to you. And you want to see this thing in action because it's it's not about if, it's when. It's a matter of when you're going to deliver this to your clients because they're starting to demand it unlike anything else. If ChatGPT is any indication of virality, I think you're going to see visualizations of people's households really take off as well. So it's a it's an awareness and a warning. <laughs> so <laughs> definitely check it out. Decide if it's right for you.
0: I love it. Awesome. Again, well, thanks for being here, Adam. And to everybody listening, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Connected. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Connected. This podcast is brought to you by MileMarker and it is produced by TurnCast. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps us and our show. And for more information about MileMarker and Connected, visit us at milemarker.co.